0: Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group, recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I am here with a good friend of mine. We are going to do a season one recap for the takeaways podcast. It's been 12 months. This is the 20th episode. And my friend is none other than Reed Gottesman, official title being vice president and regional director of leasing for harsh investment properties. Hi, Reed.
1: Hello, Haim, and <laughs> welcome to Takeaways. Oh, you're such a goofball. You know I've always wanted to say that. Do it again. Welcome to Takeaways.
0: Do the whole thing with the life lessons learned and all that.
1: Welcome to Takeaways. <laughs> life lessons learned. Haim, <laughs> you know I've always wanted to oh, do that. that's funny.
0: That's funny. So, Reed, uh, you and I did this in episode 15, did this being sat down and Recorded a podcast. That was when Sean Donosky was out of town, so we did the, the NEOP uh, breakfast. Which one was it? The, that was a uh, oh, the uh, multifamily panel.
1: Multifamily yeah. panel. No, 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 no. It was not the multifamily. We had uh, Jim Stewart, Adam Malin, oh, and
0: Dan Palmer. Oh, that's right. That was a good one. That was a good one. You really uh shown in that podcast. Is
1: it I, shown? I I don't know, but you know I re- <laughs> I really enjoyed that podcast. So so thank you for having me on.
0: My pleasure and thank you for being here Reed um, I've said this to you before you have a unique ability to see people you're a human profiler is what I call you or a stereotyper whatever uh, whatever suits better not a stereotyper <laughs> yeah no you okay well you're a profiler yeah. uh, when you when you articulate one of your observations about people and their their behaviors and intention it really cuts through to the core to uh, I would say the primal nature of, of human behavior it's, it's really I'm, I'm giving you a compliment here it's a unique ability. There's only two or three other people I know one being my dad that does that my mother-in-law and there's another guy in my Vistage group uh, named Greg Dans. So it's a, it's a unique ability. And um, I want to say thank you at the front end for doing this. I know you prepared like crazy for this episode that we're going to go through and talk about season one of takeaways and, and, and do a recap. So, uh, it's apropos to have you here.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Hiem, and, and I really am looking forward to this. And, um, you know that, that ability to cut through and, and see people, I, it is something I pride myself on, and um, I, I think it comes from really just my entire life and, and from as a kid, and I think it's a common theme with, with some of your guests, particularly Frank Martin, so that's another, another takeaway I had, and that was from when he moved around a lot as a kid, but we'll get more into that later. Okay, uh, I'm really looking forward to recapping season one. I really want to see how this podcast and you have evolved while doing this over the past year.
0: Can I ask a question real quick? Absolutely. Talk me through how you prepared for this.
1: You know, I went back and listened to pretty much every episode again and whether I was in the car uh, or on the treadmill and I texted notes to myself about each guest and each podcast and takeaways and stuff that I learned. And and it really started making me think quite a bit. And what I found is this podcast affected me and it, it made me more introspective. You have a unique way of talking to your guests and getting them to really open up to you, tell you the good, the bad, the ugly of what has made them who they are. And that put me in a position to think about myself and the path I've taken. How did I get where I am today? Where do I want to go? Who do I want to be? And I thank you for that. I think this has really been a good, for lack of a better word, tool to help me think about where I am and where I want to go. Cool. Yeah, it is cool. So where do you want to start? Well, I think we'll start with... uh, Let's start with you. This is your podcast. Uh, I kind of told you a little bit about my takeaways from Takeaways and where it's led me. But I want to dig into your motivation and thought process a little bit. But first, I'm hoping that I'm speaking at the proper volume with this microphone because one of my takeaways was find the mic. From Rick Myers right. on the first episode. Yeah. So the simple find things, the, the basics, the fundamentals, yeah. find the microphone. So I'm finding the microphone and, and finding my voice, and let's start talking. Ooh. So what were you thinking when you first conceived Takeaways? <laughs> That's
0: funny. Um, I actually thought a lot about this as far as what I was thinking because it's easy to just, for me anyway, to, to have an idea and run with it and not really think it through and all that. But I, I, I iterated a lot about this, this podcast. I think it started because I found podcasts as a medium and I really enjoyed it and I became obsessed with it and I consumed it a ton of several different podcasts and I got a lot out of it. And somewhere along the line, let me go back. I think it was 2016, the first time I heard a podcast, I want to say. Maybe a year and a half, two years of listening to podcasts, somewhere along the line, I thought, I want to do this. And the first time I actually said that out loud to somebody else was uh, summer of 2017. Uh, I was in Southern California with some friends on a, on a little vacation. and Aaron Silverman, who's a friend from our childhood who um, really influenced me in this podcast in, in a couple ways. I said it to him. I'm like, I want to start a podcast. And he said, what are you thinking? And I kind of gave him some thoughts and he challenged me. He's like, listen, dude, you're not Tim Ferriss. So why on earth is someone going to listen to you talking to somebody else for 90 minutes? Did you,
1: did you then say why not? No, not there.
0: I actually took, I received that question as, okay, thank you. I need to, if I'm going to do this, I really need to answer that question. Who is the audience? It goes back to, Another big influence of mine, Seth Godin, who is prolific author, prolific marketer, he asks three questions. Who is it for? What's it for? And what is the change you're seeking to make? So I thought about that for takeaways. Who is it for? It's for people like me who uh, are continuous learners. They look for uh, a chance to receive wisdom, not just knowledge. Uh, I talk about in the intro episode, what is wisdom different than knowledge Um, so and and people that are into long form content, there's only so much you can get from reading a a few headlines or the way that we consume now, which is you know, scrolling on your phone, bullet points. So, long form, you really get good learning from. So, I wanted to do something like that, and then and and you had to find a vehicle
1: where your audience would take the time to consume it because if you send long written. Yes. Communications. Nobody's going to spend the time. Yeah.
0: When I started the blog and they mm-hmm. were 1,200 words. And, it was a challenge. And, and more. I, the biggest criticism I got is this is too long. And typically from journalists, quote unquote journalists, who say, no, 400, 450 words is the most you should be writing. There's a place for that. But this is, you know, 90 minutes with Frank Martin. Where else are you going to get that?
1: Only on takeaways. Yeah. No,
0: maybe not only, but definitely here. But who is it for? It's for people who will take the time. And listen to something like this that is long form. If you're someone that says if you look at the thing and you're like, that's an hour, 20 minutes, I don't have time for that, it's not for you. And then what's it for? What it's what is it for is I recognize that I'm blessed. I get to be around really remarkable people. And I get to have these conversations, like Rod Martin, who's the head of Majestic here a development company, I get to go to breakfast with him from time to time. And we have. Wonderful conversations. And when you sit down with somebody like Rod for breakfast, it's an hour, it's an hour, 20, an hour, 30 minutes, even Rick Myers, who I asked to come on the show, I can take these conversations in a meaningful way and put them out there for other people to learn from as well, if they so choose. So the who's it for, what's it for, and what is the change you're seeking to make? That one is interesting. I wrestle with still a little bit, but You know Jen Levine, credit to her. You know Jen Levine. She's a broker here in the market. We worked together at a company, and she went to some industry event or or what have you and came back to the office. And before I can utter the word, she said, I already know what you're going to ask. You're going to ask for my takeaways. And she is the one that actually, uh, that was a a self-reflective moment for me that I do. I always look for the takeaways, or I always ask for the takeaways, even when we're sitting at NAOB sometimes and it's a miss. I remember there was a specific panel I'm sitting like I'm not I'm just not getting into it, and it's not them it's probably me. But I could sit here and scroll on my phone and check emails, or I can consciously look for some takeaway. There's always a takeaway from a person, from an event, from a situation. So that's the change I'm seeking to make is to bring awareness to. Yeah, I guess takeaways is a state of mind. So you you find it
1: important. No matter where you are, you're going to find value from what you're doing. I try to. That's good. All right. What is your favorite part of each episode?
0: If and when there's a moment when my guest sits back and genuinely says, that's a good question. Now, usually when someone says, that's a good question, they're biding time. Right. There are moments when I I could see it and I feel it. It is a... You know you dug deep. I did. I dug deep. I asked the right question for them. I love that.
1: That's good. Conversely, <laughs> Conversely, when, when do you feel yeah. like you miss? What What is a miss in your mind?
0: Uh, great examples. When when Ray Lucero was on. So I asked Ray to come on. I had specific takeaways to ask him about uh, how he approaches sales and uh, service delivery, really different than sales. But in the conversation, he brought up that his sister was killed That's and I'd right. let it go in the first if. Mm-hmm. I let it go the first time we sat down to record. I didn't ask the question, "Ray, what happened?" So, that's that's a missed
1: question that you completely didn't ask. But what about a question that just s- sort of misses the mark?
0: Yeah, that happens. Yeah, I don't like that either. The <laughs> other thing you know what I don't like is when I when I ask a question and the and the person says, "Yeah, I get asked that a lot." Yeah. That, I feel like yeah. I went for the softball there yeah. or I didn't think enough about the the angle or the learning. So have you ever had a feeling after
1: one of your podcasts? I'm going to keep it negative for a second. And then we're going to, at some point here, pretty soon, we're going to shift into uh, the recap, which is what this show is. It's a recap of season one. And uh, before we do that, after a podcast where you've had some misses, have you ever kind of felt bad afterwards? Um, Kind of felt like the episode failed? And when you re-listen to the podcast, did you then feel better about it, uh, and and did your opinion
0: change? Yes, all that. Um, you know, you sit down, you have a conversation, and there's so much going through my mind. I have got uh, some things I really want to cover. There are things that come up. Um, you know, you're answering one question. I'm thinking, do I do I dig in here because it's interesting, or do I, you know, I have to move on because the clock is running and all that. So,
1: do your guests uh, oftentimes allot you a certain amount of time,
0: or is it somewhat open-ended? I, I prep it. You know, it's about an hour. So budget that Uh, there have been cases where it's gone on much longer than an hour, hour and a half. So they, you know, I I let them know in advance, but kind of going back to, so when I get up, I generally have a feeling, wow, that was really good, but I don't couch it in how my audience will react. And there's a reason for that. Uh, It's really more of a feeling for me. There aren't metrics that I go to. And then when I listened back to it, you know, Frank Martin is a great example. And I'm going to risk him listening to this and and saying, what the hell? So when I first heard back a portion of it, mind you, that was a long conversation. So I heard it back in chunks. I think that episode was about an hour and 38 minutes. Yeah. Uh, The first portion, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to resonate with people, if they're just going to kind of like tune out. Wow. So then I I heard it back. That's shocking. So there's a great example my my first reaction was like i don't know and then i heard it back again and it's probably one of the best episodes if if anyone's listening to this and did not listen to the frank
1: martin episode do yourself a favor I, as a matter of fact there's a general contractor that our company works with quite a bit and i spoke to him yesterday he doesn't listen to the podcast and i i download it onto his phone i told him to do himself a favor listen to this because if anyone could take lessons for frank Martin. It's this gentleman. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Any business owner, really. I mean, I learned a lot from, from Frank and his journey. But um, here's another thing. Uh, I learned from my, my quote unquote podcast mentors and people who put content out there. There is a percentage that you're going to hit the mark with. And there's a percentage that you're just not. So it's OK for me to record an episode with Andy Borans, for example, who is the director of API Fraternity. And it, it's just going to miss with some people. It, and that's okay because maybe the next one won't miss with them
1: and we'll and we'll talk about that a little bit, but you know it's interesting what 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 you said to me when we were talking about this when i when I was talking about one that missed uh in my opinion, you told me that you received i think it was an email or a call mm-hmm. from somebody mm-hmm. specifically about that one, how yeah. that one really affected them, and again, your podcast has gotten me to think, okay, different people think differently, and it's not just i guess I, i'm you know, very selfish and think about what I think, and it's very important to me.
0: So it missed. Well, yeah. guess what? It didn't miss with other people. So and uh, there's another layer to that, which is, yeah, I hear back, Kevin Oder episode, Pastor Kevin Oder, and there's something he said in there that's meaningful, and then I could hear it back months later, which I did, and there's something totally different that I didn't even pick up in the first episode. And
1: I've done that as well. Yeah. yeah. So
0: there's, you know, it might miss with some of the audience, or it might miss the first time. And it might pick up other times. But for me to sit down and do this, I just have to do the best job that I can, ask the most interesting questions for me that make me that I'm curious about. And if you're, you know, that goes back to the who's it for, what's it for? If you're like me and you're into this kind of a thing, it'll hit. And if not, that's okay. It's not for you. And maybe something else I do will be for you.
1: All right. Sounds good. Let's let's segue into uh, talking about our recap, because that's really what this show is. It's the recap of season one. And I'd like to discuss takeaways from the episodes. Okay, And we'll probably wind up meandering a little bit. I don't know if we're gonna go in order, but we'll, we'll see where, where this podcast takes us. So Rick Myers, um, I think it was really appropriate that he was your first guest. He was our first instructor yeah. in DLI back in, it was either late 2008 or early 2009. He taught introduction to commercial real estate and personal development strategies. And I think what we really took away from that class a decade later was the personal development strategies. Mm -hmm. It was less about the real estate, more about personal development. And we we both really appreciate having Rick in our lives. Uh, What I want to do is throw out a few Rick-isms, and hopefully that's going to start a conversation for us to talk about takeaways from Rick. So Haim deals from the middle.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the whole concept of dealing from the middle. That was, um, is there something specific about that you want me to comment on or just in general?
1: Well, I, I wanted to get you talking, uh, if you do your homework, yeah. um, and you're not the most talented guy in the world, you can, you can compete, right? Yeah. Talk, talk about it. Yeah.
0: So that was an interesting one that, uh, I go in, I, I was thinking maybe Rick and I are going to talk about five very specific takeaways that I learned from Rick. It matters, uh, stature. And then he throws this at me. And never heard it before. First time I was hearing it. Yeah. You, you deal from the middle.
1: I think I rewound a, a few times on the podcast. Is it correct to say rewind now because we don't use tapes? Yeah. Whatever. But because um, <laughs> I really kind of wanted to understand the concept. And I think I even called you. I said, what, yeah. what is it when you yeah. deal from the middle? And you explained it to me.
0: Yeah, I know. So that was he brought it up then. And I I was like, wow, that's interesting concept that, okay, so I deal from the middle. What does that mean? I'm not arrogant. I don't show up thinking I know everything and therefore I'll stop learning, stop developing. Uh, And at the same time, I'm not at the other end of the spectrum and not just me. I mean, the whole concept of dealing from the middle, you're not at the other end of the spectrum where you just, you don't care. You go home from work, you grab a six pack, you watch Netflix until you fall asleep and you don't do anything to improve yourself. You're in the middle. You're not a freak of nature like he talked about, LeBron, which yeah. I'm not. Um, but at the same time, you develop yourself. You, f- you worry about the fundamentals. That was really the core of his message. Uh, you put yourself in, an, in, in situations and environments where you will learn and grow. So that was a cool one that he brought up.
1: He also said that, that you try to lift up your friends. And I think that's been apparent in, really in your life. Your your long-term relationships with friends and and family and your company and what you've done and how you try to truly help people within your company. So Thank that's you. good. Let's uh let's shift to fundamentals. This was another yeah. another thing with Rick and f- you know he was fortunate to have a few of the <laughs> most classic mentors in his life. John Wooden. If anyone doesn't know who John Wooden is, yeah. please look it up. Uh, John McKay, yeah. coach, at, uh, football coach at USC, and um, these guys were masters of pretty much five plays they yeah. could not be stopped and all they did was pretty much more or less five plays and what rick was saying is just do a few things very well and in a separate episode i think you kind of said something different that resonated it was just because you pass medical school does mm-hmm. not mean you can perform heart surgery yep so I think that goes back to fundamentals. So, t- mm-hmm. so, talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Rick clearly, when you hear him talk, he is a he is obsessed with fundamentals. He talks about in sports the the Locking lead leg, in tackle, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's true in life. I mean, flash forward to an episode with Dean Wilmore, and he talks about sales fundamentals. Exactly, fundamentals are fundamentals, and if you master the fundamentals, you'll do very very well. Uh, there's a jujitsu term: position before submission. That's a fundamental. Get in position before you go for the kill. There's a funny story though that I, w- I want to share about that particular thing you brought up about John Wooden and John McKay. So, and having Rick Myers on as the first guest. So I pat myself on the back privately a lot about having the instinct to have Rick on this show first. Mind you, Reed, I'm just learning this as I go. I decided I'm gonna do a podcast. And I'm going to have Rick on when I recorded the first episode by myself. If you hear it back, my voice is shaky. I'm nervous. I put it off for the entire day I've had on my calendar at like 9 a.m., moved it to 11, moved it to after launch, finally took Anna, who is the best podcast producer and editor on earth. Anna came in, plugged in all my equipment, put the mic literally in front of my face and said, start. And I didn't want to do it, and I was freaked out. So I'm learning as I go. I have an instinct to bring on Rick. I bring him on. I sent him a list of questions before and he writes me back an email saying, let's start with this question and everything will flow from there. He said that. Yep. So I was say I pat myself on the back that he, (laughs) he's a pro to his credit. He's, he is game to do this kind of a thing. So have him on. He moves the question. We'll talk about the question. And all of a sudden from that question came those answers about John Wooden and John McKay. Mm -hmm. And the question was what one thing or person or event in your life defined or shaped you the most. That was my it was going to be my last question. And he moved it to the top. And that had an a obviously if you listen to this podcast profound influence on the podcast because I start with that question now with everybody.
1: With fear of saying our go-to word that buys us time. Interesting. Yeah. That's actually yeah. interesting. I've always looked at Rick and looked up to Rick as the gold standard of public speaking in our community yep. and another compliment to you is you went from the beginning being really nervous on this podcast uh preparing over preparing um sometimes feeling sounding like you're reading stuff Mm -hmm. uh to the end where you're really approaching you're not there none of us are there Mm -hmm. but you're approaching Rick's standards so good on you thanks uh rick talks about what are you going to say when you get the microphone not if you get the yeah. microphone and how important to, to us is that? And I've noticed that at S.I.O.R. and, and other places, you're always prepared with questions and that, that's
0: talk about it. That specifically, there's another person that I've thought about bringing on the podcast and maybe I will for season two. His name is Dan Doherty. You know, Dan,
1: I know, Dan, uh, he is the most charismatic person I know.
0: I learned that question asking from him. Just sitting there watching him. He probably doesn't even know that. Anytime there's a panel, there's a speaker, there's an opportunity. Dan asks a really good question. I remember when it was cemented in my mind. There was a new developer to the market. They were sponsoring SIOR, which is a designation. Society
1: and Industrial and Office Realtors.
0: Yeah, so the chapter meets once a month. There's a speaker And then there's a conversation about what's happening in the market that's that's current and relevant. And it's it's really the power players of office and industrial real estate in our it's a great room in our market. And here's this new developer to the market. They they pay the big money. They're the sponsor. They're up there. They're talking. And then they open for questions. And Dan's hand shoots up and he looks at them and he says, what's your funding source? Ah, my jaw dropped. I was like, you can't ask that question. That's what I'm thinking. Who the hell is he to ask that question? And the developer kind of stuttered a little bit, backpedaled a little bit, and then, you know, got a little courage and answered the question. And, I, and that was that was a Dan Doherty. That's one of my takeaways from Dan Doherty. He always has a strong question. Agreed. And that was one of my
1: takeaways from the Jeff Finn episode is I wanted you to get more into the funding source. And you oh,
0: yeah, yeah. So Jeff Finn... I view him in such
1: a high regard. Jeff Finn, uh, just just for our audience, was uh, he ran NAI, which it was a company that Haim used to work for, and eventually he he sold the company, and now he has started Realnex.
0: Yep. So sticking with NAI, they grew this company, which was actually not a company; it was a network. It was actually not a network; it was a managed network. They created a new category. They pioneered the whole concept of corporate services real estate, which now all the big companies kill themselves to to get market share in. They started the whole, they invented the concept and they grew this network into a top five brand in the world in commercial real estate. So Jeff is a substantial dude in the world, Reed, not just the region, not just the country, in the entire, on the globe. So now he goes to this new company starts a new company called Real Next, and they have a lot of the same strategies. So that's an example. For you, it was interesting to understand the funding source and all that. I don't know that for me or for maybe the general audience. Again, this yeah, goes back to goes the theme to, of what's going
1: to – not everything is going to hit with everybody that listens to each episode.
0: So, Jeff, if you're listening, here's your opportunity. Give Reed a call. Uh, you can solicit him if you want to be an investor in Real Next. I'm sure they'll take your money. So with Jeff Finn, uh, I am sure
1: that he was a major influence on you. And your time at NAI, I actually can look back at all of your professional stops and and see that they've influenced you. And with Jeff Finn, when you came to MDL Group, I remember you being, I almost want to say, hell-bent on finding a network. Yes. And I didn't know why. I thought it was a good idea, but I didn't know why you were so focused on it. And then after listening to the podcast and – kind of understanding the dynamics of, of NAI I realized why you went after Corefac so hard
0: yeah so we are an independent private company in Las Vegas um, there's the next level up which is having a network like Corefac so we we pay a membership to this network and Haim's talking about MDL group right now correct thank you we pay to be in this network of other companies that are like ours across the globe we don't change our brand We don't lose any operating control. The next level up is I could be in a network where I maintain total control operationally and ownership, but I have to change my brand. The next level up is um, I get into a network, I lose some operating control, and then so on and so on too. I could, we could sell the company to one of the big companies. So yeah, I, when I was at NAI, I bought in, I lived and breathed that platform Kool-Aid that I, that I talk about. And i felt like going to MDL Group, one, it was an opportunity, but also, two, if I'm looking back and being transparent, that maybe I'm not relevant if I don't have that network. So you learn and grow a lot over the years. We did end up with Corfac, which we're very happy with because it gives us all those boxes that we need to check professionally of having a network. If a client says, hey, you're doing a great job in Las Vegas, can you take me to Phoenix? Can you take me to Denver? Can you take me to California? We can do that anyway, just, you know, through Sior or CCIM. However, having a network makes it an easier conversation to have. Now you're saying the right things, but how critical is it really? I'll be honest with you. For the two years after being here at MDL Group, I was in a in a Kool-Aid platform hangover. I was. I, I really there was, you know, junk in my brain about if I don't have that, I'm not relevant. I can tell you now, I'm past it. I believe I have a different belief about what I do professionally than what I when I was at NAI. I was about the brand. I bought in. It was a part of my identity.
1: We had a guy uh, who liked Western cowboy stuff a lot when I was uh, in the South Bay, and he wrote a country song called "Riding for the Brand." That's how into it he was. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. So now with with MDL Group, I'm I was missing that piece. What I've learned over the last almost six years of being here is that, you know, there's there's, and this is now a, a general takeaway. You, the grass isn't always greener. If you were at CBRE as a, as a broker, that's a great place. However, it comes with pros and cons. CBRE is CBRE. They have a very defined way of working. And if you're into that, if your personality is into that, great. You, you will do very well there. If you're not, though, it's not going to be a great place for you. The same thing. If you want that CBRE corporate structure, stay in my lane, cool you're probably not going to get all the bells and whistles that CBRE will give you at an MDL group. But what you will get is room and space to flex your entrepreneurial spirit. And that's what we're about. My clients, I could tell you, are my clients because of the value that I provide, not because of the, the logo on my business card. Yes, it helps. We've been here for 30 years. We've got a trusted uh, operation, uh, all that. But at the end of the day, I work on me to provide value for my clients and they choose to be my clients because of that. So I think I've come a long way, Reed.
1: (laughs) I would agree with that. Haim. All right, let's move on. Uh, Dory Corrin, uh, a very close friend of yours. I love this episode because this was the beginning of extrapolating vulnerability from your guests by being honest about their life experiences. Um, so, yeah, Dory was painfully open yeah. about how he grew up and, and kind of became the the guy he is today. Um, this was an early episode, and I noticed you interrupted him while I was getting into a story about <laughs> how if a yeah. cop is at a restaurant, the cop yeah. wants his back against the wall so he could survey kind of what's going on at, at the restaurant, survey the landscape just in case anything's going to go down. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want his back to the action. Later on in the season, and by the time you got to Ray and Angelica's episode, which were really, uh, I think, pivotal episodes, you allowed your subject the latitude to tell their story. You evolved as, as a host of, of, of the podcast.
0: Yeah, uh, and there's more in there as far as nuance. So Rick Myers comes in. I will not make assertions as freely with Rick as I would with Dory. I was, you know, I heard back that episode with Dory. I'm making assertions left and right with him. You know, he talked about his upbringing and how this didn't affect him and that didn't affect him. And I was like, yeah, I'm calling BS on that, Dory, because clearly it did, or I think it did. It and obviously like, yeah. did.
1: He, yeah, I heard that.
0: Well, maybe it didn't, and I'm just telling him it did. I wouldn't have done that with a Rick or a Jeff Finn or a Frank mm-hmm. Martin. That's one thing, because there's a different, there's a more of a peer dynamic as opposed to a mentor-mentee dynamic. Right. But yeah, I like I said earlier, I am learning as I go. I am evolving as I go. And when I hear these things back, there's, like we talked about, questions I missed, uh, we, you know, we kind of start talking about something and then meander away from it, and I never circle back. So these are go- let's go back to Rick and one of the things he talked about, it can be learned. It can be this learned. This is a thing that there are micro skills to make things better.
1: Dory is an impressive public speaker. And just like Rick, it takes work. It takes practice. Everyone gets nervous. Rick says it can be learned. Dory says fake it till you make it. Yeah, posture, mm-hmm. act like you've been there before. Yes, all you know, true. When you score a touchdown, hand the ball to the referee. Act like you've been there before.
0: Yeah. So that you're touching on something that, you know, we talked about as an observation. Rick had, uh, you know, success principles, life principles, takeaways. Dory had some go to the Andy Boran's episode, which was after Dory. Mm-hmm. There was so much overlap between these successful people.
1: You, you really start seeing common traits, and that was one of my biggest takeaways of, of the entire season is these successful, driven, smart people uh, that are mentors, peers, whatever, uh, they, they have all these common traits. And that's, yep. you know, so you kind of kind of look at that, and then that's part of the introspection part. Look at yourself. Am I doing this? Am I like this?
0: Almost verbatim. You talked about similarities between, you know, Rick, it can be learned. Dory, essentially saying it can be learned. But Mm -hmm. while you're learning it, have some confidence, which Mm -hmm. Rick Rick talked about. And he
1: says confidence is earned. Yeah. It's not being cocky. You earn it by working. And when you work at it, you're confident.
0: Yeah, and Dory is a confident guy, and his confidence is rooted in his drive and ambition, which then Andy Boran's episode three talks about people having drive and ambition. It's almost like they're all all saying the same stuff, yeah. Well, tell me
1: uh, about this. Pebble, rock, or bulldozer? (laughs) Uh, Talk about Dory's sea of rocks. Yeah. And, and touch on the vulnerability uh, that, that he put himself in by, by reading through this. I mean, this... I put him I on the spot, I? couldn't believe I? this guy was willing to say and this.
0: And he is a uh, private person by nature, and I put him on the spot with this. He sent me a text one random afternoon talking about uh, an observation he had driving in, in Las Vegas, par- stopped at a red light coming off the freeway, where if you know the landscape it's, it's a sea of rocks and they're all the same rocks and they're all the same colors. And if you know, you kind of rest your eyes, I talked about, it it looks like just one, you know, big surface, but they're all rocks. And he, you know, he wrote this, this observation and, and the conclusion was you can choose to be a rock or a pebble, or you can be a bulldozer, which you don't see it coming, but there's a whole different, a whole different option and you can create your own path. So one thing is Wow. Kudos to Dory for having that kind of outlook on life and being a bulldozer Two, kudos to Dory for putting it out there. Like we talked about, you do stuff like this. You will get criticism. Period. Absolutely. Someone heard that. I guarantee yeah. it and said, who the hell does he think, is he, this is?
1: think he is?
0: <laughs> yeah. But but thank you for if he said that and somebody heard it and, and felt the opposite. Wow, Dory, you're a bulldozer. You give me permission to be a bulldozer. Good for him
1: he says unapologetically that you have to position yourself to get what you want. Yeah, it's true. And there you have it. So in this episode, you brought up victim mentality. Yep. And again, when it, let's, let's roll it into the, the next episode after that, Andy Borens, the executive <laughs> director of AEPI. A- and I think he was your, your first boss of your yes, first real cool. job. Yep. Andy said, you control your own destiny and he juxtaposed that against the victim
0: mentality. Can you talk about this? Sure. So one of my biggest takeaways, not from this episode, just from my own learning and development is, is uh, the importance of mindset. Um, you, You don't realize it. You wake up, you walk from your bed to your bathroom, start brushing your teeth. That tape is playing in your head. That voice is saying stuff to you. And it could be positive. It could be negative. It could be victim thinking. It could be um, empowered thinking. I can do. Like you hear Dory. I mean, that guy is a can-do guy. That tape in his head, I doubt, is playing, "Uh, gosh, Dory, don't do that. Or, or, you know, I wish I had a nicer car. Why don't have a nicer car? That's all in our brain, and that is 100% in our control. It's a choice. I believe that. Now, Andy Borans was my first boss out of college. He he lives. I mean, he is a anyone who knows him and his accomplishments and achievements. He lives this to a T. He had a quote in his office that that always stuck with me. And it was something to the effect of the best years of our lives are the ones that we acknowledge our problems are our own. It's not the president. It's not the ecology. It's us. It's not our mom and dad. It's Mm -hmm. me. My problems are my problems. So that goes back to I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to not. And that's all in our head. Wherever you go, there you are. Clyde said that. Clyde says did. that all the time. That's right. Who's Clyde? You take. We'll get into <laughs> Clyde as well.
1: Vistage, which I think was an has been another uh, really important part of your life, and and we'll get into that in, in just a little bit. But more on Andy. Uh, this was one again. This episode didn't really hit me very hard, and I decided to go back and listen to it. Recent listened to it again recently, and just wanted to figure out why Andy was so influential in your life. So when I listened to it again, I think I figured out just what it was that, that Andy meant to you. His job was to mentor, nurture and grow future leaders. And at the time, yeah, that's exactly
0: what you were. You were a future leader and I think that's what he did for you. Is is this accurate? Um, yeah, and I'll be a little vulnerable with you and, and transparent. So at the time I talk about how he, uh, identified me. He gave me a scholarship. He put me on a plane to a convention with other leaders. And this is a time when, you know, my mom had a gambling addiction. We really? learned that we have zero money in the bank account. Everything's been gambled away. Uh, not long after that, my parents split up. So my entire adult life, they're together. Now they're not, um, not long after that, my mom moved to Israel. So it was me and my dad in the house. My brother and sister were, were out of the house. I'm in college. I was probably a sophomore or, uh, between my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, I never failed a class in my life. That semester, I failed a class. My head wasn't there. My Obviously, I had some serious stuff going on. And Andy puts me on an airplane, gives me an opportunity, puts me in an environment where there's vibrancy and leadership. I didn't have the money to do it. There was a, it was a hundred percent paid scholarship, plane, board, registration, the whole deal. I wonder what if one, I wasn't in a fraternity Two, what if Andy and others like him, aren't there doing this kind of a thing for people that, Hey, life happens. You fall on tough times. I could have easily gone the other way. And that kept me on a path. I came back to. to I was at, that was the summer. All the conventions are in the summer. I come back the next semester. I have fraternity brothers around me. They're all staying in school. Uh, there were. T- I didn't know how to pay for tuition. I found a way to pay for tuition. I mean, there's, there was a lot there, and Andy, was very much an influence, for me. And think about how many other undergraduates out there he is an influence for.
1: I mean that, that that's heavy, and I've known you pretty darn well for over a decade now. I had no idea about that. And you know, that's one of the things about the takeaways podcast is you learn about people you think, you know, and um, you know, that brings me to Angelica Yeah, and you (laughs) never know what one thing she said, be nice to people because you never know what's going on with somebody. All right, Clyde, let's talk Clyde. Uh, Clyde is, uh, runs Vistage, I think here in Las Vegas, this was an early episode. And mm-hmm. what struck me at the beginning of this episode, the episode was awesome. Clyde was awesome. But the very beginning, the introduction kind of reminded me of your first introduction podcast. I think it was like an eight minute podcast yeah, reading. where you're reading. And yeah. I felt like that's what you did with the at the, intro. the yeah. introduction with Clyde. Correct. So you almost took a little <laughs> step back at the beginning of this episode, but it really was redeemed with 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 real quality.
0: Yeah. So first, Clyde Horner. Second, Vistage. Third, I'll comment on the the reading part of it because it leads right back to a Vistage speaker that we had. So Clyde Horner is a Vistage chair. He works. And what for, quickly? What is Vistage? He works for yeah. He works for an organization called Vistage. It's a, a CEO, entrepreneur, top executive, peer coaching and accountability group. Uh, we meet once a month. I have a group of about 15 other business owners, CEOs, COOs. Uh, we meet once a month. Clyde is the chair. He brings in a speaker from the Vistage, uh, speaker library. And that's the morning where we hear a speaker in the afternoon. It's called executive session. So if you have an issue in your, in your life, in your company, you come and talk about the issue and other like-minded folks in your position, give you feedback about your issue you know if you're the business owner no one's going to tell you if you're the asshole in vistage they're going to tell you 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 really need to look in the mirror buddy cuz you're the problem that's key yeah so it it's a there are other organizations like this i like this one uh, my partners Kurt and carol have been involved with vistage 15 16 years i'm blessed to be afforded this opportunity to be in vistage and to have clyde in my life clyde is a unique individual he is extremely impactful. He is so passionate about his mission, which is enhancing the lives of CEOs. He's just an awesome, awesome guy. It's amazing to me how he got to where he, yeah. <laughs> where he came
1: from. He was
0: CFO basically a CFO, accounting
1: yeah. um, for Cashman. Yeah, um, great job. I think he was fairly high-powered guy. Um, you know, I don't know what the circumstances were, but eventually he left that company, and I think was kind of figuring out what to do with the next stage in his life. And he went in a
0: completely different direction. Mm -hmm. And he's been doing it for 18 years. And then back to your original question, why did I read his intro? So we had a Vistage speaker a few months, probably before this, that was a um, speech coach. What's that movie with the, like the Prince of England that had the stutter and he had to get coached to, to give a speech. And they did all this wacky stuff. Like they, they put a, a, a wine cork in his mouth and, they made him talk like this with a wine cork to help him with his speech and read. I'm going to talk to you in a way that if, is really. If our leader. audience
1: could only see him's face. Describe right what now. I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know how to describe <laughs> what you're doing. So I'll <laughs> describe it.
0: Imagine I have a rubber band in my mouth, and every time I extend, my mouth is his, moving like a rubber band. His face is contorting in yeah. interesting directions. So these are some of the things that this that this visited speaker had us all do. So mind you, this is 15 like powerful people you know, and she's making us do this stuff in front of each other. So she had us write an introduction to like the person to our left in the room. That's what I wrote out for Clyde. I wanted to introduce him in a different way than what you typically do. I wanted to really talk about who he is and what he does. So I did read it. I didn't just kind of flow with it.
1: And, you know, I think it's it's a tough balance because you want to make sure you get all the information out there because otherwise afterwards, like, gosh, darn it. I I forgot to say that and. Then you yeah. go disappointed in yourself. So I, I get it. All right. So because of Clyde, uh, I know you're always telling me when, when I s- say something. For example, we we do our NAOP <laughs> programs together. And I say, oh, we can't do that. And you always say, why not? Yeah. And I'm always, you know, my instinct is often we can't do that. And and you are always, why not? And I think about it for a second. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. Why not? Let's give it a try. And, and, you know, so so one thing with you is you always reach for the moon. You're not... You're never afraid to just kind of think outside the box. And, so let me and, talk about the why yeah. not,
0: or why wouldn't we do it? That's another way to ask that question. Why wouldn't we do it? Yeah. So that's actually Kurt Anderson, my partner okay. here, here at MDL Group, who's the CEO of his accounting firm, FAL. Kurt's been in Vistage for 14, 15 years. He um, he actually stepped out of the group, so I I could step into the group. But that why not, or why wouldn't we do it, that is, that is very much Kurt Anderson, But it's in the family of Vistage. You know, Clyde talks a lot about asking questions. And go back to Rick. It can be learned. Asking questions can be learned. And Clyde goes through a – he was trained in this as a Vistage chair. When you ask somebody, Reed, why wouldn't you do that? You immediately get defensive because don't – I used
1: to get defensive when you asked me that. And I don't anymore anymore because I've kind of learned where you're coming from. You've evolved –
0: In a Vistage kind of a way. And I I also,
1: I understand your motivation. You lift your friends up. How do you mean? You are not, people have a tendency. I would have a tendency to get defensive if you asked me Mm -hmm. that. Why not? Why wouldn't you be willing to do that? Mm -hmm. And then I would get defensive. Whereas now I actually know you're coming from a place of, why not? Why don't we try that? We could do better. You're trying to lift me up.
0: Thank you. But Clyde would. Clyde would take a different spin on that. Now think about conversations with your wife. Think about conversations with your kids. You go, if you ask a why question, it causes the person receiving the question to get defensive. Don't question me. If you ask the question, starting with what or how, it changes everything. How would you do that? Just like you did. How would I do that? So you asked me, how would I do that? Now I have to think about how I would do that. Mm-hmm. You didn't say, why would I do that? Because I would say, you do it. because I'm, I'm now defending a, myself. I'm becoming
1: a better parent and husband because yeah. of this.
0: How would I do that, Reed? Well, I think about what is it that I'm really trying to understand, or more importantly, what should you understand? And I would ask you a question so that you're reflective about it. And typically that starts with what or how. Reed, how would that look if we did that? We can't do that. Well, how would it look if we did it? Right there it changes the whole conversation. It changes the whole reflection of whatever it is you're talking about. That's that's the magic of Clyde. The magic of Clyde.
1: So here's an, another concept, and I don't know if it, how much uh, you know if this is something that that you've kind of taken away from from these podcasts, but I've heard it from a number of the guests. And Clyde said, "How do you reconcile responsibility versus taking a chance?" As we all get older, Mm. the tendency is to get more conservative. Uh, One of your guests, and don't know if it was Clyde or not, said, "Protect what you
0: have." Can you talk about that a little bit? The first thing that came to mind is Pastor Kevin Oder. So one of the episodes that I recorded this year, he's in Vistage. He is senior pastor of Canyon Ridge Church. So Kevin talked about the stages of a man's life or you can look at it stages of a person's life. And candidly when you're 20 years old you could take more risks than when you're 80 years old or 70. So that to me was a it was a takeaway. I'm 38 turning 39 in January of 2019. This is a this is a period of my life where I could and should be focusing on certain things. I, ever since that episode, I've been thinking about my life in spans of 10 years. That's right. So in, from 40 to 50, what will I want to accomplish? I have realities right now between those ages, 40 to 50, that I, I have, period. It's not like when I was between 20 and 30. I didn't have kids when I was 20 to w- 30. Was
1: Clyde the one talking about the wounded warrior?
0: And that was Kevin. Kevin That's what okay. I'm talking about, the stages of a man's <laughs> life that he talks about. Their names for it, their mm-hmm. descriptions, and things that you should be focusing on to optimize those periods of your life. Right. Okay.
1: Let's move to the second. Clyde was so good that you brought him back for a second episode, and that was the Tuesdays with Maury episode. And that focused on the book by Mitch Album, Tuesdays with Maury. And uh, if, if anyone has the time. Grab that book. It's a quick read and and it's it's very good. Why don't you quickly? Yeah, say, I read Tell the, book. the
0: book. Is. I read the book in college. I don't remember why or how. Actually, I think Mitch came to UNLV as a speaker. Cool. Anyway, I read the book in college. It's about this guy, Mitch Album, who's a real life person. He's uh, was a sports journalist, and one evening he was flipping through the channels and saw one of his old professors. I think it was Brandeis University. That's right. Um, Maury. Maury Schwartz, Schwartz, Maury Schwartz, he was on TV with Nightline with Ted Koppel and he was dying and Mitch was, you know, high powered sports journalist, you know, high flying jet setting the, the stereotype of uh, of a, of a, I don't think it's wounded warrior. I don't know what the phase in his life was, but he was, I mean, he was out to ma- to make his way, get his and all that stuff. And there he sees his professor Dying, the professor that he promised he would stay in touch with, right after he graduated. And there was a little guilt there. So he reached out, went to see his dying professor, and the professor asked him questions. One of them was, uh, have you found someone to spend your heart with? Well, Clyde and I talk a lot about that in that episode. But the book really is Maury's uh, Maury was a sociologist. Spend your heart with that came from from the book, huh? Yeah. And then I, the didn't Clyde, realize and I that. talked about it. Interesting, that. yeah. 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 Um, I think he was a a sociology teacher or something. But he he wanted to use this opportunity. This goes back to victim thinking and mindset. Mm -hmm. Maury's dying. right? His legs are... He has ALS. His legs are going to stop working. His biggest fear at the time when he was being interviewed is that he would get to a point where somebody would have to wipe his ass after he takes a crap. And that's it. He loses his total independence. And he said he had the
1: opportunity to become a baby again.
0: Yeah. So he looked at it the other way. Right. I have an opportunity to be a baby. However, he wanted to use everything he's learned as a professor, an academic, and show the world how to die, which we don't talk about that. Now, why did I have Clyde on to talk about that? So Clyde is a Vistage chair. One of Clyde's members was dying of cancer. He knew. Terminal, that's it. And Clyde was going to go have his last one-to-one with this member when I sometimes uh, I talk about it in the episode last one-to-one could mean the members leaving Vistage and you're not going to have a one-to-one with him anymore could mean they're leaving the, the the city could mean a lot of things but in this case it was it's the last one because the guy is dying and Clyde had a two-hour one-to-one with a dying man about what is going on for you how are you approaching this what is your mindset And when he was telling me about this, I said, you have to come back on and let's record an episode about it because it's powerful stuff that we don't typically talk about. And the only way I could prepare for this was to flash back to that book I read in college, Tuesdays with Maury, which is a lot of the same. So I went back. I read the book. Uh, You can go on YouTube and actually see the Nightline interviews with Maury Schwartz. I watched those and I did the best I could to prepare for the conversation with Clyde about his dying member and what did he learn.
1: Yeah, this this was a good one. And what what really struck me about this episode was the timing of it because it was immediate. I think the interview was only about four days after the gentleman that Clyde yeah. was sitting with had passed away. Yep. And it, it, so there was a rawness yeah. about it. Um, Clyde was kind of in an emotional mm. place and, and he was... I think because of that elevated emotion, he he get, he he shared some really important thoughts. And
0: credit to Clyde for doing that because yeah. I can't imagine it was easy for <laughs> I'm him. Sure that wasn't
1: wasn't the best, um, but maybe 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 it did help him. You know, who knows? Maybe maybe yeah. it was a little cathartic. Um, he recommended during this time that you be present. And I'm sure this because he had this elevated mm-hmm. thought process. Enjoy the moment, mm-hmm. and it kind of reminded me of an old. Remember Ferris Bueller? Yeah. Guys our age all sell that movie, right? Life. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. And I think that's actually pretty good advice that we can all take. Yeah, uh, Clyde did talk about find somebody to spend your heart with. Because he's always been a doer and has not really been focused on the heart stuff. So he advises younger folks on he's, the heart part. He
0: says that, but he's been married for 50 some odd years.
1: But even with that, he says he's, you know, they do. What I took from the episode was he, they haven't been as focused until later on, on, on that. And that makes sense. I mean, when, when successful busy people are out, he was flying around for cashman equipment for years and, and doing all these other things. I don't think he was home doing the hard stuff.
0: Now flash forward to the Frank Martin episode where he talks about his wife, Bonnie. Unbelievable. and it doesn't matter how busy Frank is flying around the top of the world Bonnie was always at his side the whole way through he said I don't go to those galas I that's don't care right. if I'm being honored or not unless Bonnie is at my side his
1: own son had to trick him into going to that's the, right <laughs> but there's a lesson
0: there which is you know what you want to be married for 40, 50 years you have to work at it yeah you really do and, and the working at it part is having a connection making the time to connect
1: that's right all right, a last, last couple of uh, takeaways from Clyde. Appreciate what you've got. Be content, like what you have, but strive for more without being greedy. And I think there's a lot of overlap with, with um, Kevin Oder uh, from Canyon Ridge Church. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's move into that. So Clyde touched on that you should enjoy the fruits of your labor, Mm-hmm. But that's not actually the goal, and that's what Kevin got into. Moving into Kevin, this one, uh, going against two episodes ago, your first episode with Clyde, I thought you really nailed the beginning of this episode. Uh, you started. You said talking about Kevin, if wisdom itself needed advice, it would come from Kevin. I thought that was cool. I nailed it, right? He really nailed that. And and after listening to Kevin <laughs> for an hour and a half, I could listen to that guy for for hours and hours on end. Um, So the timing on this one was actually another similarity to Kevin's because at this point, so Kevin's a pastor at Canyon Ridge Church, and he had just returned from a trip from Israel. So I think his senses were a little bit elevated also. So Kevin uses intentional language. Tell your kids you're proud of them, Mm -hmm. but uh, no participation trophies. I absolutely love this. Uh, You know, I think that we can all as a society do more of this. Do you you have any comments on that?
0: Yeah, so uh, if you want to hear more about this, go to the Canyon Ridge website, look for sermons, and there's a ton of good stuff. Let me brag on Kevin, and it'll tie into this intentional language. I watched one of his sermons one day, and I watched it because he talked about something that, an interaction that he and I had in front of his 6,500... I don't know. They don't call them congregants like we do, but Canyon Ridge folks. So I started watching it because of that. And he opened with this story, and it was only a few minutes. And then I kept listening, and he talked about this intentional language, and his entire sermon. I and I talked to him about this. He gives sermons about life. I mean, he's he's like a TED Talk speaker every time he gives a sermon, and then he incorporates the scripture within that. So if I, am it's like going, very practical. It's extremely practical, and it's real-life takeaways, where uh, now I'll contrast to rabbis that typically give sermons. I'm being general, and, and and I'm saying typical. They talk about the Torah portion of the week, and then they try to put in a little bit of life. Right. Which—
1: It's like the opposite.
0: I'll be honest. That doesn't do it for me. I'm with you, brother. It, it, I understand the importance of learning Torah and the Bible and— Religion. How does this but relate the way to Kevin me? does it is he starts with this is how it relates to you. Right. And you know what? Let's
1: talk about Kevin a little bit. What one of the reasons I think he relates so well, I, I was really interested in his his life. He started mm-hmm. off, I think, in a, a pretty religious household in the Midwest. I the guy from you and me probably couldn't be more different, mm-hmm. right? But then he goes to William & Mary University because he got injured in football. So mm-hmm. he went from going big-time football to actually going to a pretty darn good academic university in Virginia. So he's, now he's in the mid-Atlantic states where there's kids, probably a bunch of Jewish kids from Long Island <laughs> went down there. And you had kids from Miami and just kids from all up and down the eastern seaboard. He joins a fraternity. He's totally out of the element where he grew up in, mm-hmm. but he really embraced it. And he had the opportunity to see what how the other half lives and embrace that, and I think that that really helped him become t- the pastor and the interesting speaker that he is today, his life experiences.
0: yeah, I would say so he um he really is just a guy's guy, yeah and he doesn't Joe Sixpack. Joe Sixpack. that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. one of the best business lessons I ever learned from Kevin oder mm-hmm. dr Kevin oder
1: Dr Kevin oder he talks about from success to significance. And this was another Frank Martin yeah. take. You know, you, you could be successful and it goes back to the fruits of the labor. It's not the point.
0: But go back to Clyde now where you talked about he was a CEO of Cashman Equipment. Then he goes in a totally different direction. I wonder if at that point in his life, he was looking for significance because he had already achieved the success. I would say so. Kevin Oder talks about that too. And this really landed on me hard this year about, and even Dean Wilmore, actually we, uh, we not for the podcast, but a few months before he told me about a book that is the same kind of a concept. Once, this is Dean. One, Dean Wilmore g- talked to me about a book that he read a long time ago. Once you have everything that you want, then what? And that's the same thing of success and significance. And here's where I wrestle with it. I, you know, I, talked about my age, 38, 39, at what point do you, do you switch from chasing success to chasing significance? And if you go too early, you know, maybe you're not as successful as you, as you could be or want to be. If you go too late, maybe you're not having a fulfilled life.
1: It's probably one of those things that you don't know you're there until after the fact. Yeah. It's, it's probably, tough to consciously really know when you make that switch unless a significant event happens.
0: So this success significance is there's, you know, I think there might be a whole book about it, but there's certainly a lot of work on this from John Maxwell. And the way that he defines them for a distinction is success is pursuing um, things that are for you and you're increasing your interests. Significance is when you shift that to helping others get success for themselves. And then Kevin talks a lot about, it. kind of at the end of the episode, um, that is what is lasting in this world. Yeah, I was actually Absolutely. just in our Vistage group yesterday, and Kevin was off to, to do a funeral, and he talked about at a funeral, no one ever talks about your balance sheet, no one ever talks about how big your bank account was or how nice your Rolls Royce is. So, I mean, it's, it's really all about what you're leaving behind through other people, through your legacy. Kevin talks about the concepts of justice,
1: and forgiveness and grace, and I've got to admit, these are tough <laughs> concepts for me. Mm-hmm. I have a long way to go. They're kind of foreign, I think, because of our, our yeah. background. I, I think these were tough for you as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, but, but this goes. They back were to interesting th- to hear. I don't know
0: where I stand on these. This is his. That was from one of his sermons where I started pulling that stuff out of. That's how he gives a sermon, and he takes a word like grace and breaks it down, and he takes. Uh, Where does where does justice fall into the into the real world with the government versus you taking on your own justice? And so get the you should forgive the government will dole out justice. Yeah. But then also the forgiveness part with your with your wife. That was the best one for me where I get that all day long. It's why should I say I'm sorry? Mm -hmm. I'm mad at her. Well, hold on, buddy. That's that's wisdom. That's an example of wisdom. If you can really internalize that whole concept about grace and it Forget the religion part of it, but if you believe in a higher power, whatever it is, that you could say that higher power has forgiven me, I will go first, how great will your life be? But concepts aside, that's how Kevin thinks, and if, he, if you can learn from him in just the way that he thinks, that has huge application in your, in your life, in my life anyway. So the final
1: takeaway from Kevin I thought was absolutely brilliant. So grief counseling. Mm. It's an organic form of grief counseling. <laughs> Choose four friends, have 12 m- lunches over three months, and let your friends just be your friends. It's it's brilliant and simple. You want to explain yeah. that to the audience?
0: So someone dies and uh, – e- and it doesn't it even have to ways. be a death.
1: It, it, it doesn't have to be that significant. It could be a breakup. It could be yeah. a loss
0: of a job. You're right, because grief comes from all those places. Right.
1: It's he, he he explained, I actually did sort of understand the grief concept, and that is loss of something that was significant in your life. Yeah.
0: So when he talks about the, the lunches over the three months, there's so much brilliance in that, so, because it goes both ways. If, if you have someone in your life, a friend of yours who lost somebody, you want to be their friend. The easy one is to say, "Can I bring you dinner?" And there's only so many dinners you can bring. Um, and and typically, it's okay. You lost. I'm there for you. The funeral happens, and then what? Are you there for them after that? Don't forget that they're still grieving. That they still have to go home, and that person isn't there anymore. So the over the three months is so so smart so because you get it
1: a, keeps a, a, essentially a counseling session once a week for. Yeah. For months.
0: And you, so you, if you're the griever, you get that. On mm-hmm. the other end, your friends get to be your friends.
1: And you're not driving them crazy because it's just once a month commitment.
0: Yeah. And if you show up and it's you're having a good day and it's a good lunch, great. If you show up and all you want to do is cry, you know what? Let's cry. We'll okay. cry later together. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Let's go So now... Takeaways evolved right after this. Uh, well, then we had Jeff Finn, but we talked a little bit yep. about him, talked and about then him. Um, you moved on to Naop Takeaways. Yes, and the first episode I believe was Transit in the City, and you brought Sean on, Sean Donosky, DC Building Group, and um, why did you <laughs> introduce Naop Takeaways? How did this evolve? And I have to say, I thought that this was this was really really. Uh, topical for for a lot of the people that that we're around on a day-to-day basis because you're summarizing Mm -hmm. our big monthly NAOP breakfast.
0: For the commercial real estate development industry. So let me kind of break down some stuff here. So takeaways in the inception was I will have guests on who have influenced me and we will talk about the specific takeaways in a long form, evergreen format. So long form, you know, this isn't a 15, 20 minute conversation. It's an hour, hour and a half. Evergreen, you can hear back the Rick Myers episode 20 years from now, and it is evergreen. It is lasting takeaways, lasting information. So when I introduced the NAOP takeaways, they're still takeaways. They're not from people. It's from that specific industry event. It's not long form. It's short form, and it isn't evergreen. It's topical. That's timely. right. Yeah. So that's, let me just pin that down. And then the question is, why did I do that? That's so great. I talked about Seth Godin. Yes. Seth Godin has been an incredible influence in my life and many other people. He's written 18 bestsellers. He has a daily blog that he sends seven days a week for, I don't know how many years he's been doing this now. Which how long is the blog? 450 words? No, there's, there's sometimes there are a sentence. Sometimes there are multiple paragraphs. There's no, he doesn't set it in stone. The only commitment is I will write every single day. Now we can get into why he does that. And his whole mm-hmm. purpose for that is to change the culture, which you got to go consume Seth Godin because if you really want to understand that, he is onto some some big stuff. He also does a, a thirty day online workshop called the Alt MBA, which I did last October. Which I came out of that fully iterating this podcast, and then and I ended up doing it. I ended up launching my work. That's a Seth Godin thing. Ship your work, and how do you ship? So I'm thinking I want Seth Godin on my takeaways podcast. Let's go get him. How do I get him? I sent him an email at the encouragement of one of my alt MBA. Did you cohorts. send
1: did you send a package to his mailroom to be delivered to him?
0: Nope. I sent him an email. Okay. That's it. It was a very short email. I thought carefully about what I was going to say, how I was going to ask. I sent it, I think, eleven uh, thirty PM. I mean late hours. Um, I was, I'll tell you, my heart was racing as I was hitting send. Cause who the hell am I to do this? And I did it. I sent him an email and he wrote me back. I woke up and <laughs> grabbed my phone from the dresser <laughs> and there's an email from Seth Coden. Wow. Yeah. So my email was, I'd like to, in short, I'd like to have you on my podcast. He writes back, let's you for episode 76. Let me know. So that
1: goes back to why not, right? Why not try it? Yeah.
0: Why wouldn't I send him an email? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, He doesn't reply. Yeah, He replies and says, go F yourself. Or he replies and says, let's shoot for episode 76. Mind you, this is around Is that what April. he said?
1: Episode 76?
0: He said, let's shoot for episode 76. Okay. Let me know. So now you have a goal. So let me let me tell you how brilliant his, his answer was. Even if he never comes on, what did he just do for he me? He
1: made you get to episode 76. How can
0: I, what can I do? How can I get there faster? By April, I think I had only... I'd only launched about episode seven or eight do the math. By the time 76 comes around at that pace, it's going to be four or five years from now.
1: Well, if if I'm not mistaken, we're at episode 20 now. And is that because he motivated you to add in the NAOP takeaways?
0: He, not the specifically that, but he created a, a uh, thought process for me about what can I do? And I wanted to maintain the integrity of takeaways and I'm already at NAOP and I was actually writing about my takeaways. So I said, let's just do a podcast. Yeah, because
1: you were already uh, sending a blog out yeah. to to us and, and people like me were yep. having trouble because they were so long and it took too yeah. long to read.
0: Yeah. So innovation is or now the in mother the car, of necessity or whatever. great.
1: In the car, listen to the, you know, it's 20, 25 minutes, whatever the NAOP yeah. takeaway is. And it's, it's great. It's good information. Yeah. And
0: people have, have responded to it favorably. Excellent.
1: All right. Moving on. Let's move to Ray Lucero. So you had a couple episodes now after this, uh, Ray and Angelica Lopez that completely changed, I think, the trajectory of of what this podcast is, and it really added added a heart and and even more of this vulnerability. Um, these folks, more peers, people that we know um, at Jared's house, multiple times over the years, I've. I've had a whiskey with Ray. We're not best friends, we're acquaintances. I always thought he was a nice guy. Probably thinks I'm a nice guy. We see him around. Hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. Nothing too deep. I had no idea what we were gonna get into in this episode. And then follow that with the Angelica Lopez episode, another person. I knew she lived at Jared's house, Jared Katz, that is, who's a you know, Hyam's partner at MDL Group and and somebody that I work with closely and, and a close friend of mine. And he never told me why Angelica lived at his house. I just knew Angelica lived at his house. I just figured, I don't know. I didn't really think twice about it. I'd been there and I've had a drink with her as well. At this point, we took on a twist, I think. So, Yeah. So Ray, it started out. We're talking about ease of use, mm-hmm. business and yeah. life, um, living an intentional life, kind of your typical stuff. And then, bam. Typical guy yep. had this life-changing event. Yeah. Talk to me.
0: So I didn't set out with Ray to have a different type of episode. It was going to be the typical takeaways because I actually did learn a lot from Ray with that one question that he asks. How can I help you? How that's can how, I help you? That's how he leads. And that was, for me, a life-changing takeaway when he when I met him and he asked me that question. I changed my approach because of Ray. So, But when we were talking, this goes into you know missed questions. At some point in the conversation, he says, my sister was killed. I let it go the first time.
1: Were were you just, you didn't know this. You were just taken aback.
0: I had an awareness around it. I didn't know any of the details or I couldn't recall them in that moment. But at the same time, again, you know, it can be learned. I'm I'm learning. I have a microphone in front of me. He has one in front of him. There's a recording device. I'm going to publish this publicly or broadcast it publicly. I didn't know if he would be okay with me asking, Ray, what happened with your sister? So I, but I'm, I'm hearing it back. And I'm like, I missed a big question. So I asked Ray, what do you think? I missed a big question. Would you have talked about it? He said, Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally open about it. I was on the board of safe nest because of it. Would you mind coming back and, and recording that that piece? So now we'll get into some technical stuff here. So I, I had him come back. We recorded the piece. It's uh, not, you know, a 20-second clip. It was a few-minute conversation. Ray, what happened? You know, my sister was killed. She was murdered by her boyfriend at the time. Domestic violence. We get into this really robust conversation. And I didn't know where to put it. I didn't know where to put it inside the episode because my editing skills aren't professional. So we put it at the front end like like an episode teaser. But what I learned is when typically the professional podcasters do this... They put in their music too, so the listener... I'm I'm like,
1: am I at the beginning of this episode? That was was the feedback I
0: got. Everyone said I kept rewinding and rewinding because I thought I missed the the beginning. No, I just plopped it in there. And then I kept
1: waiting for it to come somewhere in the middle of the episode, and it never did.
0: Yeah, no, because yeah, we didn't put it in there. (laughs) Exactly, so I am learning as I go. Now, he brought up Angelica in that episode. Right. So that was me just going with the flow of saying... Angelica is not a typical candidate for my takeaways. I don't have three to five specific things. However, there were her takeaways from her experiences that are equally as meaningful that we can talk about. So I started the process with her. Would you like to come on? Absolutely. What can we talk about? Here are some thoughts. She gave me some more thoughts. And we ended up with, what do people typically think about domestic abuse and domestic violence? All those questions that you think are just, arrogant questions or uninformed questions or just, you know, your typical questions. Why didn't you just leave? And there's so much complexity to that. So she, again, credit to her, she let me ask those questions. You know, why didn't you leave? What did you do to deserve this? That's, if people aren't asking them out loud, they might be thinking that. So let's talk about that. And she was game for it. And Man, did she do a great job. One of the most listened to episodes that I, I have recorded this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it. this one hit hard. And really, just it was amazing that these are people we know. Mm. And who knew? Who knew? You didn't know about my mom. I did
0: not know about your mom. Everyone has something. That was one of the takeaways That's from right. Angelica. I don't care who you are. Andy Borans talked about this, actually. Some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Some people are born into extreme poverty. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. You don't know what what someone is coming to the table with. So just be kind. Another takeaway I want to mention from this that we're, we're talking about is anything you're doing in life, choose process over perfection. If I would have said I need to be perfect and have all of this dialed out with this takeaways episode, you know, I wouldn't have asked Ray to come back because it was imperfect the way that I plopped in that intro. Right. I wouldn't have had Angelica on because it wasn't a part of my perfect process of, you know, people who have influenced me. But it's evolved. even the NAOP thing, I would have not thought about that. I chose process, and let's just see where it goes. And it's okay to be messy.
1: I I, I think you're right about that. I really do. So this episode, it, it really kind of morphed what, <laughs> what takeaways is and maybe can be. So like you just said, it was Angelica's takeaways from domestic violence, from yep. experiencing that. So is it possible that your interviewees takeaways from specific subjects may become a direction that the show goes in the future.
0: It is possible. And that was some of the feedback I got from uh, this year. You know, you become a podcaster and you put this stuff out there and people give you feedback. And some of the feedback is here's some ideas of what you can do with the show. And it was that this person is really interesting. I would love to hear them on your show. Now, I have to fit it within my format and my integrity, but the evolution of where this could go is that. Yeah, like I could have Tina Quigley on, the head of the RTC, and have her talk about her takeaways from transportation. I'm sure that would be really fascinating. It has nothing to do with me, but my my then job is to shift into a different kind of interviewer. And
1: if you have Tina talking about transportation and transit-oriented development, It will be interesting. Of course, because it's Tina. Because it's Tina. (laughs) The Quigley factor, like you called it. Yeah. On the first NAOP takeaways.
0: But then there are other, you know, there's, if we go, so if we go in that direction, there are interesting people in Las Vegas that are doing interesting things. Uh, There are interesting people in our industry that are doing interesting things that might not live in Las Vegas. But for me, I really want to anchor it in. I don't, I don't just want to show where I'm having people on because I'm trying to sell advertisement. I don't sell advertisement. I'm doing this as a hobby. I'm doing it for significance, not the success. So I would really want to think through what is, what am I doing here? Who's it for? What's it for? What is the change I'm seeking to make and keep it within that integrity?
1: All right, let's move on to Jared, your partner. Yeah. My friend, someone we work with closely. His episode was interesting cuz it's it's Jared. Um you know, my my first impression of Jared was at our DLI retreat back in, I guess it was late 2008. And I liked the guy and he just sort of had this maybe honesty about him and at least I sensed it cuz I didn't really know him. And towards the end of the towards the end because of, you're a seer. I, I think you're it a, is. A yeah. A profiler. And what I said from my experience, I already had experience in the industry in California. I said, don't let this industry and success cause I was sure he was going to be successful. Don't let success change you because he did seem so genuine. Mm-hmm. And you know what? A decade later, once again, <laughs> I, mean, I don't pat myself on the back, but I nailed it. You know, Jared is one of the most genuine people. He is successful. And the way the whole Angelica thing intertwined into this with, with Jared and, and Amy Katz. Yeah. These guys put their family at risk <laughs> to help for what Jared was a relative stranger. I think she was an acquaintance at yeah. the time.
0: That's Jared. That's, That's Jared.
1: Amy. What are you going to say? That's Jared. That's you Jared. Know? So a few things I, I think are worth mentioning with Jared. And it's just sort of this guy's kind of quiet philosophy on life. Don't worry. <laughs> accept because regret is a waste of time. If yeah. something already happened and didn't go your way, it's over. Yep. <laughs> so don't worry about <laughs> it. And I think that's... Did you know that before you heard the episode? And did you practice that? I don't practice I'm. I, the, again, I mean, the, these are the things, the introspection, these are the things that I'm, I'm thinking about from listening to all these successful people we know. I'm trying to take away some of their best qualities. And yeah, yeah I mean... I, I want to get there, so working on it.
0: Friendship is not a two-way street. That was a big one for me, too. That's a good one. And Not prepared, not rehearsed, not mm-hmm. anything I was expecting, and he said, you can do more for your friends than they can do for you.
1: And with your, that, that one didn't surprise me or, or anything like that, but... That but when just, you hear it, when I heard it, point, it it's, yeah. a,
0: it's like a punch in the nose. It's like... Sh- you talked earlier about the introspection that this kind of thing does, mm-hmm. and that was a great one because you you can't help but to think about all the relationships in your life, not just friendships, with your wife, with your parents, with everybody. It doesn't have to be a two-way street. The genius in what he said is, I can do more for them than they can do for me. That's right. Because the assumption is it doesn't have to be a two-way street is – you, you, yeah, maybe they can do more for me or whatever. But it's no that, and that's when Jared deals from the middle. That's mm-hmm. where he deals from in friendship and relationships.
1: And it comes to comes back to it was one of your other guests. D- don't keep score.
0: It's, yeah, and was that Clyde?
1: I, I think it was Clyde. Who? Yeah, he yeah. early on in his life he kept right. score. What did you yeah, do yeah, for yeah. me? What did I do for Correct. you? Correct. Okay, it's one one. We're even. That's right. Uh, so yeah. there goes the uh, yeah.
0: similarities between the shows. Right. It just now Jared. Right. Let me say this about him. Having him on the show was. A, Incredibly difficult for me. I in my, again, how I prepare is I think about <laughs> what are the three yeah, to five I can just takeaways. This. Yeah, what are the three I to five am takeaways? Time the night before with a pad and paper. What am I'm I like, talk? I I don't know what the the takeaways are because it all just blends together. Right. I don't know if what I do came from Jared originally or not, or vice versa. It was so hard because we spend so much time together. What, what's what I
1: think is so brilliant about your guys' partnership is you guys are so different you guys truly complement each other and it works it's good last thing with jared is another common theme uh the fundamentals be great at a couple of things one thing that jared has always done in business and i'm mm-hmm. speaking from experience here if he doesn't feel he's the right guy for a job he's gonna pass on it he's you know, gonna pass all said on that, that is ray yeah absolutely see it's that true. They, these are and they, they're both service providers yeah and they both have very high levels <laughs> of integrity. Common theme.
0: Yeah. Good observation. Thank you. Good takeaway, Reed. Thank you, <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Let's move it along. So
0: Laura Sussman. Laura Sussman. So what, what is she? So Laura Sussman. I met her, um, officially met her. I was introduced to her by an attorney in town who I think very highly of. He referred her to me and Jared. Many years ago, because she's a business owner and was looking for a building for her business. She's a unique kind of business owner in that they deal in funerals. You know, your, your podcast actually dealt much more than I would expect in death and religion. And that was, yeah, not in. T- I noticed that, too. Not an intentional thing, but it kept coming up. Yeah. Um, with Laura, I didn't think that the episode would go that way. And maybe this was me as an interviewer not bringing out the side of Laura that I wanted to bring out, which is she is so funny and comical.
1: That did not shine through.
0: It didn't, and I I reflected a lot about that. But what did come through was you know leaving a legacy, which tied into that's right you know the success significance thing, and that wasn't something that we you know practiced or rehearsed or we were thinking about. I was and uh, thinking about talking about, but that's what came through with that. So here's a person that deals with, I mean, that's her profession. When she gets a phone call from a a customer, it's because someone died, literally. It's something we say here, you know, it's like no one's going to die if you (laughs) mess this up. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. It's a little different for her. But that's where, you know, life, where the rubber meets the road with life. Every call she gets, every experience she has. Yeah, it brings everything back to perspective. Ties into Jared. Don't sweat the small stuff. That's right. So there was a lot that I got out of that episode. And if you noticed, I learned from Rick, it can be learned. And I asked Laura, one of the things I struggle with all the time is at a funeral. What do do I say? I don't even want to go because I don't know what to say. And I, I, this
1: was one of those were my takeaways. Yeah.
0: And I, I know a lot of people that I
1: just don't know what to
0: say. I don't know what to say. And that was, I took the, be there. I learned the, it can be learned approach, but she, no, she gave us three things to say. Acknowledge the death. Acknowledge the loss. I'm sorry for your loss. That's it. I'm sorry for your loss. Share a memory or offer to do something specific. Yeah, um, that was a good one. Cool. I'm armed now. I am tooled now. If I'm ever in that situation, I know what to do. And it's one of the hardest things that I've always wrestled with in my life. So there's always a takeaway read.
1: I think she also was trying to articulate the significance thing. Pay it forward. Yeah. You know, don't work all the time. Again, family. She's
0: living this right now in her life as a business owner who spent the last 10 years or or what have you building a business, putting Mm -hmm. every last uh, ounce of energy that she has and effort into this. And now she has shifted from success to significance, taking three weeks to go on a hike with her daughter, John, Muir trail. She'll never get that that time again. And her daughter, I'm sure would, you know, she'll appreciate that forever.
1: All right. So let's talk quickly about Dean. Dean Wilmore. Yes, sir. And he he was a big influence on, on your life. I got um, so on much. On your professional career, I think. 100%. Yeah, and and Dean is some someone in, in the industry that we, we all know well and respect, and he's one of the top industrial brokers and has been for a very long time in, in Southern Nevada.
0: Saying a lot because it's a competitive field in <laughs> yeah. Southern Nevada, and he's sure consistently is. one of the top.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what I think separated him early on in his career... He went to, I forget which company, in, in Arizona. He's, he's a University of Arizona graduate, and he was a research guy and built a database. So he came here to Las Vegas and decided, I'm going to build a database. And I think that that was what kind of separated him from, from others.
0: So let's, let's tie in some uh, similarities from other episodes. He noticed nobody is focusing on any one thing. Like Jared says, interesting. Be great at one thing. He he innovated. I hey, it worked over there. Nobody's doing it here. I will do it here. I will build a company on the back of a database. I will spend three years hiring people, innovating, creating things that don't exist. Jeff Finn, Dory Corn, yes. be, totally totally be the bulldozer. Totally, Jeff Be the visionary. Finn. Mm-hmm. But it's also it's also when I think about Dory and the bulldozer, Dean was the bulldozer. He, he created he his created own a path. path. Yeah, yeah. So there. <laughs> I just thought about that actually. All of that they tie together.
1: <laughs> and another thing he did, and and this I just have a lot of respect for it was, uh, he was a young broker, and he knocked on a door and got the deal that saved his career. Yep. You know, and yep. I just I just love that story, and it's a story you hear kind of over and over again, but it, it takes a, a certain kind of guy.
0: Let me riff on that for a bit. So Andy Borans taught us how to recruit, how to rush. And he has a whole system that he created. The, online, the system online system that has
1: nothing to do with the internet. Yeah.
0: But one of the things that he teaches is called dorm storming. Dorm storming. So I'll explain it. You get a list. It's so a Jewish fraternity, you get the list of freshmen and any, uh, you know, freedmen, Silverman, cats, good chance that, that that's a Jewish person. You go and you knock on their door at the dorm. And there's a whole process of how to get into the door. And that's exactly what Dean Wilmore did with the crucifix. That's right. So imagine a guy standing. It's, well, what it is is it's just finding common ground. It's finding common ground, but it's going back to the fundamentals. It can be learned. Think about what Dean Wilmore did. He went and knocked on a stranger's door at a time when it was probably okay to shoot somebody that's on your property. And he had the audacity as the guy's like trying to close the door and get, get him the hell out of there to say, is that a crucifix behind you on the wall? So if I'm that person standing in Dean's way, I naturally will turn my head to look at the crucifix. And I don't think Dean did this, but this is what Andy teaches in dorm storming. If I take my finger and point to the Pamela Anderson poster on the wall behind you, and my arm crosses your plane of sight, you will turn around more than likely physically. And if you turn around, your door will open a little more. And if your door opens a little more, my foot can go in. And once I can get in a little more and we talk about Pamela Anderson, I can see that you have an Xbox and you play Halo.
1: And, and I love I, that you're talking about Pamela Anderson because it shows how old you that's are. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I thought you would appreciate that.
0: But that was, that, you know, when Dean's saying the story about how this one thing saved his career, I flash back to, I learned that in school <laughs> right. from Andy Borhans who took a fraternity from 2000 undergraduates to 12,000. So the results are there. Dean had this great story, this commission that saved his career because of this tactic that is learned. Right.
1: And then the final item I wanted to talk about with, with Dean is just the family element.
0: Yeah, big, big. Uh, from being married uh, to his kids and you know, being around him, I know that it wasn't always roses and sun- sunshines with the kids. There has been adversity that he has... Um, been everyone dedicated. has. Everyone, everyone has something. Everyone has something. Uh, you know, he he stayed dedicated to and overcame, and and now the unique pleasure I would say of he gets to work with his son. You know, I I have kids. They're not at the age yet where they don't want to be around me or they think they know more than me and all that. But that's coming. I know it's coming. And his son probably went through that and has come to a point where he looks up to his dad to the point where he says, you know, he's bought in with his life. Like dad, I want to do what you do, and I want you to teach me. That's gotta. That's gotta feel great. That's yeah, pretty cool. And you could
1: you could hear him shine, hear Dean shine. You heard that through the radio speaker. Yeah, you know, in the car, he lit up. Yep, he did. All right, let's go to the last takeaways episode, which of season I, one of season <laughs> one, I thought knocked it out of the park. Frank Martin, who I really don't know personally. I know who he is. I've seen him around many times. I think I've heard him speak, but I don't know him personally. And this guy's life. There's a movie in here. It has, I mean, it has all the elements. He comes from the oil patch up in the upper upper Midwest. Hard Scrabble, six schools in the sixth grade. The family lived in motels, trailer parks. Um, you know, it was a big thing. I think when they moved to the larger trailer. And, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, one of the things that was near and dear to my heart was. What he learned as a kid through these experiences, he learned to read personalities very
0: quickly. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Because that's what you do. I
1: try. You allowed Frank the Latitude to talk and ask questions. So Mm. this was your evolution. Yep. And um, he was in Vistage, which he called tech because he's an old timer. Correct. And... uh, Vistage, I think, is a recurring theme. And I think that this absolutely is clearly been a huge influence on your life. And and as we, you know, as I've learned more today and uh, about you, um, your influence, your your influence to that. So let's just talk about what made Frank who he is. Um, He was high on the hog and he (laughs) lost
0: three fortunes. Yep. Why? He talks a lot about that, the why. But the other thing is, you look at Frank Martin today, people know him whether he knows them or not. He is uh, someone of stature in our community. He is uh, someone of stature in his industry. People know who he is. He's in the the fishbowl, so to speak. And it's easy to look at a Frank Martin and cast off his success for whatever reason. But then what you just talked about, like you you hear the story of where this guy came from, you know, bootstrapping. He is a self-made man. But it wasn't always... Uh, he wasn't always a success story. He lost everything or faced losing everything three times on his 40 year journey of being a business owner.
1: And it was because the first one was because he wasn't focused on the fundamentals.
0: A hundred percent. He didn't even know they existed because <laughs> right. of his upbringing. <laughs> he didn't go to an MBA, but you know what he did when he was faced with that adversity? He talked about, he executed a 30 day plan. First of all, let me back up. He brought in outside help. So, Arrogance aside, I don't know everything. I need help. He brought in outside help. He was open to receiving criticism and support. And then they gave him a 30-day plan to execute, and he said he, he executed it in seven days. That's the drive and the grit. Now, I I could tell you I'm probably not like that in a fight-or-flight situation. Frank is. So awesome learning there. Clyde Horner talks about, you know, who are you, what do you want, what price are you willing to pay? Yeah, Price isn't always money price is in this scenario frank was willing to pay a price i doubt he uh he got a lot of sleep in those seven days i doubt he saw his family a lot in those seven days but he paid a price and he was willing to pay that price to get to the other side and he did it uh you have 30 days no i'm gonna do it in seven Mm -hmm. that's the grit i mean that that's that was the first one the second one he talks about yeah so i learned some things i um after he executed this plan, he put himself on a sabbatical to learn how to read a balance sheet. He That's didn't right. say one day. He didn't say, I'll go to school. He's like, I need to do this. I will do this. And I'm going to go hold myself up. And I'm not going to come out until I know this stuff. And he did. But he let go of the fundamentals. He got arrogant again. He again a, uh, every 12 years, again, Frank got yeah, arrogant. Yeah. And there's a lesson there for mm-hmm. all of us.
1: You're never as smart as you think you are. You're never as dumb as you think you are. Yeah. Depending dealing on from the, the middle. That's, That's the, right. You
0: just, you just uh, explained dealing from the middle. All right. <laughs> Reed, we're seeing this today right now in Las Vegas. That's right. Everything are. is running and gunning. Everyone is busy. I'm sure you're seeing everyone's this. Everyone's a genius. Yeah. Everyone's smart. In your portfolio, I'm sure you're seeing this. Mm-hmm. Some guy that was maybe building out one office space at a time for you all of a sudden has a contract to build the next skyscraper. That was Frank. And he didn't have a business plan. At the first go around. He got one the second go around, but he ignored it. He left it on the shelf and let it collect dust, as he said. And what happened? Well, he bought, what happened
1: was he bought a new campus for his company. <laughs> he started trying to do a whole lot of business he didn't know much about in Irvine, California. And he went to Paris <laughs> <laughs> with Bonnie <laughs> at the
0: wrong time. But you know what? Now he looks back on that and is willing to put that out there publicly.
1: That was what I really appreciate about the episode and why I told this general contractor to listen to this episode so he can mm-hmm. learn these lessons from him. And the fact that Frank couldn't stand looking at his building that yeah. he just bought and he couldn't stand his new truck. He felt like he didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's actually a, a thing in, in uh, that we can all learn from. I'm sure. Other people feel this from time to time. I know I feel it from time to time uh, with this podcast specifically. It's called imposter syndrome. It's called a lot of things. Even right now, who the hell's going to listen to this hour plus conversation? Who am I to think about? You know, who, someone's <laughs> going to spend their time listening right. to this. Who cares? Right. I can't tell you how many times over the last year I've wanted to quit this. In my mind, I've quit. I said, I'm not going to do another one. Nobody cares. And then something happens where I get reinforced. Um, I get a, a, an affirmation. I was uh, at Bagel Cafe with Jared the other week. We went to see a property. We stopped there for breakfast. David Saltman was there. David Saltman, David's I hold. great. Yeah, he is a peer, I would say, age-wise, but yeah. I hold that guy in such a high regard. I think he's such a high-caliber human being. After the pleasantries and the catching up and the house of family, he, he circled back and, and said, hey, by the way, Haim, I really like your podcast. You're creating really great stories for this community.
1: And coming from David, I think that carries weight.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So how do we get on that tangent? The imposter syndrome, not feeling worthy. Frank Martin buying a campus, buying a truck that he didn't want to get into.
1: And then bring it forward to the current time. Frank's been through it all. He sold his company. He's made it, right? Now it's time for significance and humility. He won the NAOP Man of the Year Award, which is a, it's, it has gravity in this community. It's not something that's given out all the time. It's only given when the board really thinks it should be given. And and Frank was very worthy of that. And Mm -hmm. and he was honored by that.
0: When you say honored, not they honored him. He felt felt the honor of it. And it felt through in that story. I
1: I think this I, I, I stayed away from a word because I think it's overused and used in the wrong way. I think he was humbled by it. Yes. And I, I tend to stay away from that because I think a lot of people say that falsely.
0: Mm-hmm. But that was used accurately in the way that he talked about that award so, and yeah. what it meant to him.
1: I agree. So just a, a few more uh, words that, that Frank would say. Get work, do work, keep score.
0: Brilliant. It's so back to Wooden, back to uh, Lombardo, the the, the fundamentals. I don't need 20 plays. I don't need to complicate anything. Frank built the largest general contracting company in Las Vegas, in Southern Nevada, with a very simple three-legged stool. That's right. The yeah, it, three-legged stool <laughs> that he that he because when you me. milk cows, you can't have a four-legged stool. When he started talking about that, I'm like, "Where the hell is this going?" Yeah. I, I asked him about you know get work, do work, yeah. keep score. He's telling me about milking cows. Surprising that Haim <laughs> didn't understand anything about a four-legged stool yeah. of cows. Four-legged versus three-legged. <laughs> yeah. and the, 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 that was funny. So yeah, get work, keep get work, do work, keep score. Keep it simple. Fundamentals.
1: To whom much is given, much is expected.
0: Yes. He lives that. He lives I that. I know he lives that. Mm-hmm.
1: And then humility. So that's it for the recap. I want to get into our final segment where I just have a few questions for you. What have you learned about yourself going through this process as takeaways has evolved in season one?
0: There's the surface level stuff. Like when I hear back episodes, I say, interestingly. Oh, interesting. 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 interestingly." Interesting. And I think, why do I say that? It's, you know, maybe to sound smart. So... You know, little things like that, that, you know, pattern disruption is okay in your life. Notice the things that you do, ask yourself, why do I do it? And then if it's not serving you, disrupt yourself. Is that
1: introspection?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Introspection. But that's a surface level introspection. Okay. Then there's other more meaningful things. Like when Jared said, you can do more for your friends than they they do for you. It's like, damn, I suck because I don't think like that. I don't approach it like that. I'd like to. So there's, you know, more meaningful introspection we talked a little bit about process over perfection. This whole thing has been a reinforcement. Now I started this Takeaways podcast technically with an email just to my company. I went to an event. I mean there's there's a broader story about, you know, why I started it and what service what I wanted it to do. But I sent an email with four bullet points and then a couple months later I sent it through Constant Contact and then a couple months later I posted it on our website and then I learned how to embed videos into these uh, written blog posts. And then I started a podcast and it's all, it all started from an email. It all started from, uh, I, I never thought when I sent that email that I'd have, you know, purchase microphones and headsets and a recorder and learn how to use this recording device and learn how to publish it on, on, on iTunes and all that. So anyone out there who's thinking about starting something and is get, letting the perf- the perfection part get in their way. Just get out of your way. Just start. Start small. Ask yourself, you know, something I learned from Tim Ferriss. What would this look like if it were easy? And just go and then see where it evolves to. And you know what? If it doesn't work, you can always quit or stop and and adjust. How's that? That's good. That's (laughs) good. Takeaways from takeaways.
1: (laughs) If you could do one thing over during season one, what would it be?
0: Oh, that's a tough one. Um, it's a tough one because I didn't set out with goals. I didn't set out with metrics on purpose. In fact, uh, when I, when <laughs> I started actually recording, Rick Myers came in to record December of last year and it was December. So things were slow. So I had Dory in after that. And then I had Andrew, Andy Borans come in cause I knew he would be in town and I did three episodes in one week and I loved it. I was hooked. I was addicted to the process of, of sitting down with somebody and recording it and all that and I had to have a talk with myself about what is this really? You know, who's it for? What's it for? What is the change you're seeking to make? I didn't, I didn't set out to do this to monetize it. And if I did, I would approach it totally differently. There are things that I would be doing, resources I'd be spending um, to get to a certain level of listenership, and then I'd have to sell advertisements, and then it becomes a business, and I don't like it anymore. So I didn't set out to really accomplish anything. I don't know what I would do differently. I, probably a cop-out answer. It's a fair answer. What
1: are you most proud of?
0: I think that I stuck with it despite wanting to quit and not continue. Um, I get really proud when I get random feedback from the show. I don't want to say who and the names because I didn't ask their permission, but I, I recorded an episode, I sent it out, and someone's family member messaged me. I've had one interaction with that family member in a passing casual industry kind of a thing. Hi, nice to meet you. My name's so-and-so. That was it. Yet they sought me out to send me a message saying, thank you for that. And that was really meaningful.
1: And I have a final question.
0: Do we want to talk about season two? (laughs) We talked about it a little bit and sure. Um, I think season two, I'm, I'm really thinking about what, what is the next element to add. And I think it's that it's, uh, interesting. Somebody else's takeaways. If I do it though, where I get stuck or not stuck, but I get, um, careful is I want to, I want to do it in a way that fits into what I'm doing. I didn't publish the first episode yet, but I did post on social media when my episode was approved by iTunes, it was a, that was it. Nobody's heard anything, nothing. And I got an email saying, I'd like to advertise on your podcast. And I was like, yeah, no, Hmm. not just, yeah. Who would advertise? That would be the right advertiser, but that's not what I'm doing. And you don't even know what I'm doing. So why would you want to advertise? So I, I, um, there are things that, um, They're they're seductive to to explore and think about, but I have to stop myself and remember, what am I doing? Keep it true. Keep it true. And I I view this right now as a Your
1: audience will know whether this is authentic
0: or not. Absolutely. But then if I, you know, the the brilliance of both Clyde and Seth Godin with those three questions, they just ask them differently. Mm -hmm. Who's it for? What's it for? What is the change you're seeking to make? I'm not seeking to create a revenue stream through advertisements. So my audience is a very specific audience that I envision. And there are people that will take the time to listen to a 50-minute hour, 30-minute conversation. And if I, if I dilute that and go for the audience size that, um, that would justify advertisers, what am I, what have I done?
1: You've diluted it to justify... I, yeah.
0: So if we, if we go to season two and we add that element, I just want to be really careful that we're I'm um, doing it in the way that I set out to do this.
1: All right. Well, you know what? This has been a lot of fun. I am absolutely honored to be a part of this. I think we can learn a lot from the people that we know. Um, and what this show has been has been a vehicle to get who they are and what they can share with us out to us. And I think that's a powerful thing. So thank you.
0: And Reed, I have to say thank you. Uh, You were extremely generous, not just in agreeing to do this, but in the time and the care that you spent preparing for this, you know, 20 episodes, well, well, 19, you listened back to every single one of them. That's a lot of time that you dedicated. So thank you for that. You got it. And I think we're going to get this out before the end of the year. So Wishing everyone all the very best of the holiday season, a happy and healthy new year. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review it really goes a long way and if you really like the show please share takeaways with a friend thank you and tune in next time